And we'll read from verse number 16, Psalm 105. All right, are you ready? Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land, he meaning God. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, and he was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Look at the verse 19 again. Until the reprieve, the word of the Lord tried him. Now, pause again. Until his fetters were broken and the irons were removed. Until that time, the word of the Lord tried him. I want to talk to all of you today on this subject, planted in a hard place. Amen. I thank you, Lord. Perform your perfect work in this house. Do what only you can do and and use me as a conduit for your never dying word. And let the people and me included receive it with all readiness of mind and spirit. I pray right now that you remove from us all the distractions that would keep us from hearing every word that you've intended for our lives. And help us to clear our minds and hearts, Lord, and spirits of all things that would convolute your will being done. And I ask you, Lord, that this house will be filled with prayer and praise and thanksgiving and determination. Let the people who call this house their place of worship, I pray that they would be vested like never before. And I ask you, Lord, that you would send us a great Holy Ghost revival. Let there be many souls that walk into this place and into our lives. I pray for restoration and reconciliation, Lord. Let the outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit be made manifest on all the congregation. Let the nine supernatural gifts, Lord, be poured out on people. Let the gift of prophecy and of tongues and word of wisdom and word of knowledge, the gift of faith and the gift of miracles, Lord. Let the laying on of hands be magnified, Lord, according to the foundation of our principles, I pray. And we lift your word up, Lord, in your name, Lord, and your blood is covering us, Lord Jesus. We invoke your presence and your power and your spirit, Lord. We're seeking for a demonstration of the Holy Ghost in this house, Lord, and I pray. I'm asking the Lord for divine favor right now in Jesus' name. I rebuke every devourer that would come and to steal seeds that are about to be planted in the hearts and lives of people. And I take dominion, Lord Jesus, over every foul thing and over wicked things, Lord, that would present themselves to us. I stand against every wedge, Lord, and the devourer himself in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I thank you for standing. If for a moment we might consider the many sons of Jacob in time each of them will have their respective wives and children every one will grow in number the houses of each will one day be known by their names until tribes are formed, making up the twelve tribes of Israel. Consider the sons of Jacob. Levi will become the priestly tribe and will have no direct inheritance given to him or to them of the land. Joseph, though esteemed, will not be named among the tribes either. There was no tribe of Joseph. Instead, his father Jacob will bless Ephraim and Manasseh, bypassing Joseph's name recognition altogether. Some might conclude this to be sliding Joseph, but in reality, the inclusion of his two sons into the direct blessing by their grandfather, was a far greater blessing than just giving it to Joseph alone. The favored son held many such things in his hand. But I will offer caution to all who might have ears to hear. Favored sons or daughters can destroy any family, regardless of the times. Joseph's doting parents carried the blame for the dysfunctional family within. Rachel was Joseph's mother, and she never seemed to find contentment. Life did not turn out the way she hoped. Beauty fades, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Say it ain't so. Mm -hmm. And the years of barrenness and then resentment was clearly marked by the biblical writer, Rachel's last words was the naming of her second and final son, Benjamin. Only she named him Benoni, which meant son of my sorrow. Thankfully, Jacob changed it very quickly. I want to be careful this morning not to paint a picture of unrealistic terms. The Bible spares no expense at divulging both flaw and strength of all of its characters. So to that end, it should be noted that Jacob and Rachel's parenting skills probably led Joseph to the pit where his half-brothers were waiting for him. Joseph had revelation from God, conquering, preparing, rising. His dreams were that, but he had no wisdom on how to reveal them. 
People are young only once, but immaturity lasts a lifetime. We're off to a rough start. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I hope he's not talking about you. You know who you are. All right, that's enough. But God had a plan for Joseph that reached higher than his minimal surroundings. God saw and always does. Far into the future, and he began to prepare Joseph for a work much more important than life on his father's farm. We see him wearing a coat of many colors, yes. This is how most of the world will know Joseph. But that coat was a microcosm of the out-of-balance partiality and preference afforded to him for no other reason but that he was Rachel's firstborn son. It was the tipping point of hatred against him. And combined with his lack of discretion concerning his spiritual insight, his brothers sought for retribution. To them, no doubt, Joseph was the constant reminder to all of them that their mother Leah meant so little to their father Jacob. And all of this brings us into the deep waters of family frailty and consequences. I've been here long enough to know the direction where people are heading, though few would welcome that knowledge. For our time, it must be noted that in order for Joseph to fulfill the dreams that God gave him, he would need a transformation of both mind and spirit. For God to lift him up, making him the son, making him the standing grain, Joseph would have to be planted in a hard place. That was the only way. The Midianite merchants who bought Joseph that day eventually used him up and then sold him off again. From that moment, he landed in the pit where his brothers cast him to the day he climbed out of the prison cell where Potiphar dispelled him. No one thought of Joseph as anything more than a slave. He could be used, beaten, mistreated, scolded, or given any measure of punishment for any reason or none at all. And we might have cause to question if not for the fact that it was God who planted him in a hard place. The phenomenal thing is that Joseph did not allow the ugly to destroy him. He was cast away in the blink of an eye and he came to know the place of his hardship in a matter of moments and those days featured persecution and perplexities. He was, as Paul would write, troubled on every side because that is what happens when you are planted in a hard place. That was a far cry from the comfort of an excuse-making mother and A partial proud father. What a mess. They set him up for failure until God stepped in. And I know what so many shallow people think. They think that God's greatest work is when he sets us on the mountaintop. They never think that he's working on our behalf when he sets the mountain on us. But a hard place is the location of our salvation. Hebrews 12, 
And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addressed you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as, dis- as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. God is never wrong. And he loves us enough to put us in a place where we can do more than just get by. The kingdom is given into our hands, but we need to know how to deal with ourselves before we fail in our boast. And I love the word that gives us confidence. It is that oft-quoted writing and then prophesied by Isaiah. Let me read it to you because so many people read this and quote it. Here's what Isaiah wrote. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No weapon formed. The question is not the ability of the weapon, ladies and gentlemen. The question is not if we will perish. The goodness of the Lord has already been been known. He has been good to you. Even if you waver in your faith, you will not perish. His mercies are brand new. Before you woke up this morning, they were brand new for you. You didn't deserve the brand new fresh mercies of the Lord, but he gave it to you before you woke up. They're brand new every morning. It's like the homemade fresh bread. You can smell it before you wake up and you wake up to that brand new grace and mercy afforded to you, but you did nothing to deserve it. Yes. The question is not who or what stands against you. They're always going to be an adversary. Weapons will always be formed by that adversary. The question is, who made the adversary? So when we quote Isaiah 54 and 17, we should read it in context. Because you got to go back to the, the verse prior to that. Verse 16, here it is. Behold, this is what God said. I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire. And that bringeth forth an instrument, a weapon. For his work, and I've created the, the waster to destroy. He created the storm, and then he brings us out of the same. Because growth is more important than pleasure, and eternity is more critical than the temporal. Let me read it to you in another version. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. But no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. I made him that made the weapon, but I'm going to bring you out of the very same thing. Planted in a hard place. The apostle Paul had seen so many spiritual things. He trafficked in the spirit world. Perhaps we are given nothing but a fraction of his spiritual insight. He was bold by the anointing given to him. He raised people from the dead. He saw untold miracles through his own hands. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. God gave Paul that thorn and God would not take it away. God put Paul in that hard place because it was the proving ground that gave life to his preaching and kept his flesh suppressed. I don't know anyone who's ever conquered their flesh. 
But I know people who daily crucify it. (laughs) The abundance of revelations. They're a mystery to every biblical scholar. They are unnamed and unidentified things. But they are many. And it was an emissary of Satan himself that came to brother Saul and hurt him. A consulate of the demonic world was commissioned to afflict him. Paul was was on hell's radar and God did not keep him from the trouble. What keeps you may be the very thing that troubles you. We are saved through affliction, not by relief. A life like this will not only grow deep and downward, but it will press upward through the hard mass of the rock. It pushes daily until a small space opens and then it presses on. Through rain or drought, its survival is made possible by the daily press. Every day pushing upward. Every moment pressing forward. Every day making it known that nothing is going to stop its climb. The tenacity of that tree bends the mind. How can it grow in such a difficult place? And if there be some standing commentary, then I wonder if it would be like Job's wife who said to him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? You're in a hard place and there seems to be no hope or help coming your way. How are you going to survive with all of that happening to you? How do you press upward when so much is pressing downward? Talk to us, Joseph. I implore you today from this very pulpit. We need to hear it from an unseen world. I cannot tell you the whole, ladies and gentlemen, but I can answer it in part. And it must have gone something like this. God gave me a dream and I will grow no matter where I'm at. Joseph. He serves the Egyptians with all of his heart. He obeys the Midianites to do whatever he is asked. And then another Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites. And then he worked his way up into the rich man's house until Potiphar put him in charge of the entire place. All the assets and workers and crops and livestock and buildings and land. And Joseph is growing when there is no logical reason to grow. He's pressing through the impossible obstacles, living at the whim of another. He may hold the manager's pen and paper, but he does not hold the whip. They hold the whip. One misstep and he is reduced or he will be killed. There is no reward for the person or the talent or the faith and that is the best place to grow and just about the time Joseph reaches the pinnacle of authority he is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife she takes his cloak much like his brothers took his coat and he accuses her of advancing upon her and then Pilate takes him and cast him out and he plummets yet once again into another pit it was a life sentence a prison made for dying He could have given up right then and there. He had every right to give up. Most people would. Most would just count the reasons why the fight is not worth the effort. Some might even blame God for the hardship, the undeserving suffering, or the looming despair and darkness to the human mind. Joseph in prison, it was unfair. Or how could God allow this to happen to me? Not knowing that God orchestrates our lives for the purpose of our eternal souls. God meant it for good. He made the blacksmith. He allowed the weight of the rock, the troubling, the conflict, and the bewilderment. All of it was shaping Joseph. He was designed to lead the nation of Egypt and restore his family, but there had to be growth in his life to get there. The leadership and authority of Moses 
was contingent upon the tenacity of Joseph. He cannot see Moses. They are hundreds of years apart in living. Uh, they cannot, he cannot see the coming deliverance or the Red Sea or the wall of Jericho crumbling into dust. But all of it is riding on this moment. The right spirit in the middle of those oppressing moments. The right attitude and the right work ethic without reward or expectation. The resistance to fleshly proposals and desires and the disposition of servanthood in a prison environment. All of those things combined made him who he was if you're looking for a likeness of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament you'll look no further than Joseph Joseph is the likeness of Jesus God was in control everyone even when no one could see it God was in control God was making the moves and a resolve was forming the life of a tree it was growing Because strength does not come from sailing on the placid waters. It comes from learning how to manage the tempest. It doesn't come from ease or comfort. Strength comes when something is pressing back against you and your determination is being challenged. It comes when the waves are contrary and resistant. That's your constant companion. If you want to ruin your sons or your daughters, consider their comfort over their calling. You want to destroy their family, your family, you can do it real quick. Make every excuse why they should not go through a hardship or be corrected. You won't be the first. You'll throw them into a pit, but you don't know it's a pit because You adorned them with a coat. But if God's going to use them and use me and you, he's going to have to put us in a hard place. And sometimes God has to work against our upbringing. Because we don't know the mind of God. And we got to teach servanthood and contentment and work for the kingdom. And doing without reward. And giving without expectation of return. And if we can get that right, then the Lord can use us. I know what I'm fighting against. I'm not fighting against you, but I'm fighting against the spirit of the age of entitlement. Where the church is not acting like the church. The church is acting like a consumption group of people. And they want to consume something instead of giving something out. I say today, I rise to say, I'm going to give my whole life. I'm going to spend my whole energy. I'm going to give everything to the kingdom and to the Lord. Yes, yes, yes. And you ought to be clapping your hands unto the Lord. And you ought to thank God for it. Jesus. That's how, that's how some treat their children. But, you know, God doesn't treat you that way. Trust is formed and was formed the day the disciples thought they were going to die on the sea. And they cried out and Jesus is asleep in the boat. And they're fighting for their lives. But he rebukes them, teaches us that regardless of the storm, if he's in your boat, you're not going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. You're going to live. 
You don't understand the storm. I may not understand your particular storm, but I have a few of my own. You're not dying. Is the Lord with you? Yes, but I, I don't know. You're going to toil, but you're not going to die. You're going to grind at times. You're going to cry at times. You're going to yearn, plead, work, call, but he won't let you drown. You're going to say, but you don't understand the weight and the rock is on, my, on top of me, but I will just say, you can grow. I'm growing in a hard place. I've grown in a hard place. I'm bearing fruit in a dry season. Somebody said, I'm going to grow in a hard place. And the days are heavy and the nights are long, but God gave me a word. I'm making my way upward. Doesn't matter what people say. Sometimes it's not my enemy that, that, that discourages me. <laughs> like General Patton said, I've been shot at all of my life and sometimes by my enemies. Your good friend can discourage you. Little disclaimer here and there. I just want to be truthful with you. No, they don't. (laughs) I've said it before, but I think it bears repeating. One of the early dates that Tammy and I went on when I visited her in Louisiana, she said, put your blue jeans on. and, 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 uh, And she bought me a pair of boots, ropers. Good. And uh, we went to the bayou. She had heavy, heavy twine and, a, and some packages of nasty, bloody meats, melt or something like that. She said, we're going fishing. Climbed on top of those pipes that went across the bayou there and tied that bloody meat to the end of that twine and we had her dad's pickup truck and she put a a cooler in the back of it but it was broken down didn't have a lid on it nasty old cooler and we 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 let our meat down on that twine and a crab grabbed it how was it it's exciting pull that dude up and I said, well, you know, I don't know about this, Tammy. She was grabbed. We were putting them in the cooler. I said, I, I, they're all going to get out of the cooler. She said, oh, no, the, the one can get out. But if you get two of them in there, they won't let each other get down. Because the moment the one tries to climb out, the other one will pull them down. You get two crabs together, you don't need a lid. Yuck. Uh huh. That's why you can never get out. <laughs> oh man. I better just press on that a little bit more here. You want to have praise and worship, but you've been communicating with somebody, keep pulling you down, keep pull- You want to have freedom, but. You go through a hard time, and like Job's friends are trying to figure out. Well, what did you do wrong? Well, you didn't do anything wrong. It was God that was proving you and God that was lifting you up. And it's time for you to grow in a hard place. Yeah. Before we tout the exploits of men and women in the hall of faith, 
The book of Hebrews chapter 11, it should be noted that each of them had to make difficult choices to follow the Lord. Abraham left his homeland. Moses chose affliction. David was anointed somewhere between the ages of 10 and 15 years old, according to the Hebrew scholars, but he went back to the sheep. He was in and out of conflict for the duration of his life. He was put down, fought against, dismissed, ignored, scolded. That was just from his own family. Yes, he killed Goliath, but his success enraged the king, and David spent at least seven years running for his life. But if there will be growth, then there must be a hard place. And we are not the first to experience this life. In fact, we might not even have entered into the real trouble yet to come. I feel the Holy Ghost moving on me. You ought to prepare yourself. And you can do it by dedication. Become dedicated today. Get dedicated today. Let today be the moment where your roots get a little deeper and your resolve becomes a little stronger and your determination rises up. At some point, you ought to pay attention. (laughs) Oh, yes, Lord, now help us. Today, you ought to pay attention. And you're going to have to echo the sentiments of the psalmist. Who wrote in Psalm 16 verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. We're not there yet. I set the Lord before me and that's it. I got nothing else. I'm not looking at anyone else. And because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved from this place. I'll I'll read some more. Acts 20. But not, Paul wrote, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of grace of, of the grace of God. I'll back up a little bit and read it in IV. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me but none of these things move me i know in the future i'm going to have a rough time but none of these things move me i know that tomorrow i might be sick and i'd be weary and i might have some major issue but none of these things move me i might lose everything but none of these things move me i might collapse but none of these things move me i might be wasted but none of these things move me i might be friendless but none of these things move me I'm asking you what is going to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord tell me what or tell me who nothing can separate me but everything's going to try and everything's going to come at you and everything's going to press against you so I rise to say get planted get rooted and if you're going through a hard time or you feel like you're planted in a hard place. Let me just tell you, you're not the first. But when you come out, you'll split the very rock that's held you down. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. 
We are cast down, but we're not destroyed. Let me do it again. We are troubled. We're perplexed. We're persecuted and we're cast down. Let's get some real things in here today. I'm tired of all the fake stuff. You go through trouble. Yes, you're not alone. And I've been perplexed many times. And I've been troubled many times. I've been cast down many times. But I will tell you, I'm still standing because I'm not destroyed. And the devil can't take what God has given me. He gave me a dream. And the dream, the dream was a massive revival of the surrounding cities and area in our counties. He gave me a vision. It was your sons and your daughters. It was your family and your friends and your neighbors. It was a church that espoused holiness and godliness and righteous living and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come on, mama. They're not done and they're not over. Nobody's bigger than God. Come on, dad. Come on, grandpa. I know you, I, I know you probably think it's impossible. By now you think it's impossible. I'm going to tell you, you're going to grow in a hard place or something come out of you. And when you split that rock, you're going to say, God is a great God. He's going to lift you up and put a signet ring on you. Because when you're growing in a hard place, you're defying all the odds and the enemy that stands against you. So I just want to tell you, I'm just here to tell you, you can grow. You will grow. It's an imperative. You must grow. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I can't can't behold him. And he hides himself on the right hand, I cannot see him. I don't have knowledge. Catch it. I don't have knowledge of where he's at. And I don't know exactly what he's doing. (laughs) And it's probably good that I don't know what he's doing. But here's the next verse. But he knoweth the way that I take. He knows. See, we couldn't always handle the knowledge of what he's doing. All we have to do is just be planted. I shall not be moved. That can't move me. You're not going to dissuade me. I don't care what the conditions are. I'm going to grow. It it may look incremental. It may look small. But I'm going to press through this rock until I make it to the other side. Yes, and I know what your family family saying. Why don't you just give up? Why why are you doing all that? Why are you going to that church? Why why are you trying? Let me tell you. If you'll just keep, if you'll stay, if you'll stay where you are right now, and you make that seat your home, and you make this altar your place of worship and comfort, if you make those doors familiar and this place a a place where you give your life, you're going to press through, and there's going to be a massive revelations come to you, and God's going to bless your life like I'm prophesying to somebody here don't quit growing and don't quit coming and plant your feet and say i shall not be moved i won't be moved i will not be moved
Amen. But he knoweth the way I just have to read it through. He knows the way I take. And when he hath tried me, I'll come forth as gold. He knows the way and I'm going to be like gold. But that place in the middle, it's the conflicting place. (laughs) My foot, however, hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about your life and where you're heading. I want to ask you where you're, where you're wanting to go and what God's going to do in you. I want to tell someone your health is not guaranteed and your money's going to fail you. And some of your friends are crabs. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I just want to get real with you and just tell you. Living for the Lord is the best life. But that doesn't mean it doesn't come without trial. Because the reward is always greater than the journey. I can't, I can't tell you what it will be like because all I have is a small glimpse. But the day the trumpet sounds and you are resurrected from this, this earth and you put your feet on that streets of gold, everything that you've ever gone through is going to be worth it. It'll be so small and so insignificant. It'll be a nothing to you. All the big things that confound you right now and all the things that conflict you right now, there's coming a day when the dead in Christ is going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm I'm not preaching for this life. I'm preaching for that life. So I say to all the people, keep on growing. Keep on rising. Keep on pressing through. Keep on living for God. Keep on having faith in the Lord. Keep on giving and serving. Come on, clap your hands. Stand your feet and clap your hands. All ye people. And out of your mouth, praise him and give him glory. Oh, we give you glory. Oh, we give you praise and honor. Come on, keep it going. Keep it going. Let it keep roaring from your heart. Come on, from your soul. Cry out from your soul. Oh, God, I bless your name. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. somebody's in this house you need to just recognize it right now come on just speak to yourself speak to yourself right now in the name of Jesus I pray for my own mind and my own heart Ah. give me the tenacity Lord ah The expectation of your goodness is around me. (sighs) (sighs) 
I'm back in the scripture of Job 23. He's not in front of me. I can't find him behind or left and right. He hides himself. I have no feeling. What do you do when you can't have or don't feel that emotional connection? What what do you do? It's what Job said. My foot held his steps. I didn't turn around. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I kept his word. Because when you don't have the emotional feeling, you got to have obedience. And you got to have, I shall not be moved. Sometimes I have this emotional, overwhelming thing, chills running up and down my leg, my spine. I'm so, man. And sometimes I'm not feeling that, but I know God is good. I'm going to worship. I'm going to love his word. I don't have all that emotion, but I'm good. Until I get the emotion back and the feeling back, I shall not be moved. I will grow in a hard place. Wherever you put me, Lord, I'm going to prosper in that place. I'm going to bear fruit in that place. Amen. Amen. Come on, all the growers, all the people who want to grow, bear fruit. I offer this altar to you just to make a declaration today. I'm growing.